Before we open our study tonight, something came to mind I want to share with you, just that I hope will be a, an encouragement and a bomb to you. Something I heard on the radio, you know, just noting, notice, noting that, you know, a lot of you are going through some challenging things. Um, uh, I heard Dr. David Jeremiah from Shadow Mountain Community Church on the radio. I only heard a, a piece of his message as I was in and out of somewhere from somewhere in the car, <laughs> you know how that is. But it was a real blessing and uh, came to mind to, to share with you. I hope it will bless you tonight. I don't remember what book he was reading. I don't remember the situation. But I know that uh, someone was saying how she was really, really struggling with some very difficult afflictions and problems and was kind of struggling about how to have any peace with it as a Christian. And another, I think another woman's response to her was, yes, but then there is the Lord. And the lady would not really object necessarily, but just kind of, share in different ways, you know, the problems and things going on. And then the response again was, yes, but there is the Lord. And I think he was sharing, this lady said, you know, I, I think the problem is that we, we do kind of feel like, yes, I know there's a Lord, but it, we kind of act like, but it isn't really enough. That's why I wanted to encourage us to sing the last part of Psalm 73 again, right? I don't need anyone in heaven or on earth, but God. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is enough. He's only enough. Remember what he says to Abraham. Fear not. I am your exceeding great reward. Right? And uh, just to encourage you uh, as you're facing your challenges. Yes. But there is the Lord. Now notice the yes. It's not a denial of the afflictions and the challenges. And in this study we've looked at afflictions recently. Right? And how they're good in many ways for us. Remember, yes, but there is the Lord. And to keep turning to the Lord and not allowing Satan to tempt us in our difficulties and trials. Um, to go to our pet sins, as we saw last week when, they, when those things come at us. Um, or to despair and not, not turn to the Lord for our strength as only he can give it. Not that he will necessarily take away something for a while, but he will take us through it. Yes, but there is the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer sooner. Let us go to the Lord in prayer more often. Find our strength in him. And that, that reminded me of two more things. Uh, remember what uh, Elder Renner shared a while ago. And I think I shared it in a sermon. But I remember seeing it on his desk recently. Um, on his computer. But first, pray. And I think it's a similar idea, right? Um, and that makes me think of... I was thinking of that again. Because this week at Academy... I saw a young man wearing a t-shirt, I think it was Junior Academy, and it said, but first, thank God. Or if it wasn't that, it was, but first, give thanks, or something like that. And I was thinking of Mr. Renner, what he had shared, and I think it relates to that, but yes, but then, there is the Lord. And I just want to encourage us to, to turn to him and, and remember that. And we know that, and we know the blessing of that, but of course, we always need to be reminded. So that's from Dr. David Jeremiah. Of course, I'm giving it to you in a very haphazard, rough draft of what he shared. It was much better. I, I wish I would have jotted down when it was and tried to find the title to share it with you. But maybe that's enough. Yes, but there is the Lord. Okay. Well, we're continuing our study of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We are getting close to the end. Oh, actually, if you don't mind, Rachel, can I ask you to come up? I've put the envelopes for you and Olivia. You're going to deliver to Pasadena this week. 
If I don't give it to you now, I'm pretty sure they're going to end up going home with me. So thank you. <laughs> Have a good trip. Um, we're, we're nearing the end of the study, actually. Um, I, I'm not sure how far we'll get tonight. Almost completing a section. Uh, but we're, we're picking it up uh, with still in the section and deliver us from evil. And at the moment, still considering the evil of sin itself. That we would not sin because sin is so evil. In a little while, maybe next time, if not, certainly I think the following, uh, we'll start the part about deliver me from evil and thinking of it also, including the idea of deliver me from Satan, the evil one who's always after me, always tempting me. And of course, we've had a lot of study about that in the first part of the sixth petition. Um, we're going to uh, pick it up tonight. Uh, he, he told us to take heed um, last week, and we, we studied three of them. We're going to continue on uh, this use to exhortation, you know, application of all that we're studying. And uh, last week we saw, first of all, number one, take heed of sins of omission. That is not doing things we should be doing. Second, take heed of secret sins. Not thinking they won't find us out. Uh, then third, and this was the large part of the study, take heed of your besetting sin, that which your nature and constitution are most inclined to. And um, we had a long um, uh, digression, I guess you would say, or uh, appendices in a sense of Dr. Derek Thomas from his chapter in the book, Our Ancient Foe, talking about this in particular related to pet sins. The sins that are our pets, or as... Uh, Thomas Watson went on to really explain these things. They are our darlings, you know. Uh, I'm not going to get back into all that again, but just for review. And so now we're continuing this part of his study of exhortation as applying a lot of what we've been learning most recently, uh, taking heed of other things. So the next thing he says to take heed of, take heed of the sins which attend your particular callings. You think of your vocation, your job. And certainly the ministry. He says this, avoid those sins which you are exposed to in your trade. Take heed of all fraud and collusion in your dealings. Matthew seven twelve. he quotes, whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them. So, you know, if you're a tax collector, for instance, be fair. This is what John the Baptist says, right? You know, what do we do if we're saying, well, bear fruit me for repentance. If you're a tax collector charged fairly. Or if you're a soldier, don't be taking, don't be extorting and taking things from the people that you're supposed to protect. Don't take advantage of that position. But you can think about it in all different kinds of things. There are certain positions, certain jobs and positions where you might be in more of a potential danger of being tempted to something else. You know, uh, the kind of people you might be around and have to endure. Uh, you want to really be careful that on the job, at work, uh, in your particular callings, there could be particular dangers. It could be to lie. It could be to cover up something, right? It could be to fudge. It could, it could be, uh, frankly, there's a lot of danger of many office romances that would end up being adultery. You know, whatever it is, um, be careful. Um, do what you would have others do to you. And he, he also, I think he's particularly getting at the danger of being dishonest and stealing. Because then he says, beware of a deceitful balance. You know, again, that was a big significant problem of the tax collectors, like, charging people more than they were supposed to. That's why everybody hated him so much. 
Uh, that is charging stuff that they pocketed. You know, I know we probably think our government charges more than it should, but I don't. I don't think people are necessarily pocketing it. You know, in the government, and um, beware of deceitful balance. Then he writes this, or he shares this, Hosea twelve seven. The balances of deceit are in his hand. You know, the sinner. Like we don't. We don't want to be. We want to be honest in all areas of work. Uh, and even I would say as clients, we need to be honest. We need to be forthright. Uh, you could think about it maybe related to doing things on Craigslist, what you might be selling. Be honest about what's wrong with it, you know. Uh, share what's not obvious in the picture, <laughs> you know, um, that kind of a thing. Um, there's a real joy in that then, too, because, you know, I, I think I shared with you a little while ago, a lady came up all the way from Tijuana to buy our, our dresser that the girls had, and I was straight in the pictures and what I commented on, that there, it's a nice dresser, but there's some decent wear and tear, uh, not really in the mechanisms, but in the painting, and, you know, and when she got home, she says, I love it, I love my purchase, and I was so glad, and I didn't have anything on my heart, like, I hope she knows, well, I mean, there would have been no not seeing it, but especially driving all that way, you know, just be honest and you have that joy of that. Um, so again, take heed of the sins which attend your particular callings. You, you know what it is for you, you know. Uh, what are those things that are particularly uh, dangerous for the ministry? Uh, I think we heard with uh, Sinclair Ferguson, pride, right? A real danger of pride. Be careful. There's certain callings that, you know, there's a particular, um, what's the word? Uh, well, there's a, there's a particular potential of sinning in certain ways. So watch out for that. I was going to say collateral damage, but that's not really the idea. Uh, unless in terms of that danger of giving into those sins upon other people. You know. But uh, the next thing he says to watch out for, sin being so deadly and evil, take heed of the appearance of sin. Take heed of the appearance of sin. I think I won't get into some things that are coming to mind right now, but sometimes our Reformed brethren can kind of overexert their freedom in certain regards that don't need to be broadcast and bragged about. And frankly, sometimes I think do go too far. Um, you don't even want to be, you want to be concerned even about the appearance of evil. And let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.22. He, he doesn't give this scripture, but it comes to mind. And I'm going to take you to a number of extra scriptures tonight, uh, just to kind of back up what he's saying. As he's nearing the end, I think he's he is giving scripture references, but um, maybe not as many as I think he might, or at least that come to mind to me on certain topics. I want to I want to draw them out. Well, I guess I could have just said it, but First Thessalonians five twenty two. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Keep in mind, Ephesians elsewhere says that the days are evil, right? Redeem the time, the days are evil. Certainly avoid appearance of evil. You don't want anybody assuming something about you that's wrong. Because you're not being careful about how you represent yourself. There's a lot of different ways you could apply that. But abstain from even the appearance of evil. You don't want to give anybody the reason to be gossiping about you, even if it's not true. But it's because of something they've maybe naturally misconstrued about you because of something. Now, uh, that is the last part of what we should take heed about. We're going to get into the next section that I, I don't expect we'll finish tonight. Uh, we'll probably have part two next time before we continue. But it's uh, some good stuff, and we'll turn to a lot of scriptures. What means shall we use to be kept from acts of sin? What 
things should we do? What things should we take advantage of to be kept from sinning? To help us not give in to temptation. We ask the Lord to keep us from even being tempted. But if we are called upon to be tempted in his providence, that he would keep us from giving in to the temptation and sinning. Now, what means shall we ask for? And I, I want to point out again that, notice, we ask God to do this, but we, we should ask him, help us to use the means toward that end. And we should take use of the means toward that end and not just think that we don't play any part in it. Sanctification involves our cooperating with the Holy Spirit, right? Not grieving him, not quenching him, but responding to him. And when he brings these things to mind, that we make use of them. And proactively that we set a hedge about with these things. So what means shall we use to be kept from the acts of sin? We're asking God to keep us and there's many things we could make use of if we pay attention to it. Number one, labor to mortify original sin. What is original sin? Origin, right? Original sin. Back to the fall, the first fall, right? If we go back to our study, uh, sin and the fall and the confession talks about original sin. That's one of the things we highlighted. It's an important doctrine to remember. Original sin is Adam and Eve falling. And because of their fall, we are all born sinners. We are all born corrupt and guilty. That is our predicament, right? So we see this reflected in Psalm 51 when David says, as a repenting and thinking about his predicament, I was conceived in sin. My mother conceived me in sin. Not the act of conceiving, but being conceived, we are, we take on sin. We take on sin from Adam and Eve. We're all sinners. Uh, We all sin because we're sinners. We need to be saved from it. And he says, labor to mortify original sin. Why do men break forth into actual sins? But because they do not mortify heart sins. Suppress the first rising of pride, lust, and passion. Original sin unmortified will prove such a root of bitterness as will bring forth the cursed root of scandalous sin. The outward acts of sin. What he's recognizing is, we got to remember, we're naturally born. We still have the old man we got to beat up. Now, you remember the sermon Sabbath evening, you know, you're not who you were, you're no longer who you were, and how we're supposed to handle things, we're as victors and conquerors, but we've seen enough of the study, and uh, there was a disclaimer given that will come up tonight, the scripture that I got wrong, the reference, I remembered it later, and I'll have it for you tonight. But we've, we've got to recognize that the heart is deceitfully wicked, right, Jeremiah? And remember the morning sermon, we're so prone like David to be blind to our own sins. We've got to recognize it always starts from the heart. And I want to turn to a couple scriptures together. I'll, I'll turn there rather quickly. Don't worry about if you can follow along. Feel free to. You might jot them down or if you can keep up with me. But I want to just make sure we cover a little bit of ground tonight. Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to stay in Matthew and turn to chapter 7 as well. But within the Sermon on the Mount, first Matthew 5 verse 28 Well, let's start with verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. The act of it outwardly doesn't have to happen for it already to be adultery. This lusting after another woman, that's where it's got to stop. Because that's where it starts. 
Nip it in the bud, as they said, and the bud is inside our hearts. Turn ahead with me, especially now, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now, you know what? I wrote down the wrong reference. Let me see if... uh... I wonder if it should have been 621. Let me double check here. Well, this wasn't what I was thinking, I don't think, but Matthew 621, for where your treasure is, this might be it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on to say in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Um, I'm pretty sure I want to go to another place in Matthew. But I'm going to turn to my reference in Luke chapter 6. Because that might be also what I have in mind. Because of course the Gospels mirror them. They they overlap so much. They have so many parallels. uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 45. This, yeah, this isn't the one. Um, I'm going to ask for your help to try to find it. But this is still important. Luke 6.45. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Turn with me back to Matthew and see if you can help me. I'm pretty sure it's Matthew 5. If you'll give me, oh, I was in looking at Matthew 7. If you give me a moment, it could be still Matthew 7. It might, yeah, yeah, thank you. Matthew, thank you, Mr. Renner. Matthew 5, 22. Well, let's go with 21 first. Ye have heard that it was said uh, by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell. Um, that isn't what I'm thinking of, but it relates to what I brought up either, uh, a little bit after those verses um, about adultery. I know what it is. It's about the cup, the cleansing of the cup, where the Pharisees are saying, um, you know, why don't your disciples wash? So maybe that's not Matthew 5. Uh, forgive me, you know the reference. I'm going to look it up. Oh, do you got it, Isaac? Oh, okay. Um, it's the reference where he says it's out of the heart, these things. It, what's really embarrassing me, this is one of our memory verses with the shorter catechism. We had it not long ago. So this is a little embarrassing. But it's the verse about, um, it's out of the heart come adulteries, murders, fornications, right? Uh, thefts. Matthew twenty three twenty six. Is that what you said? Oh, thank you. Matthew uh, 23, 26. Somehow I, I thought I had that. Maybe I looked at the ref, a, a corresponding cross-reference and got confused. Either way, thank you, Elder Renner. Matthew 23, verse 26. I'm glad you found it because that's the main one I wanted to go to, actually. Matthew 23, 26. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. I'm going to start with verse 5. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Yeah, that's not the specific verse I'm thinking of, though. I know it's in response to them asking why your disciples don't wash their hands. And he says, you need to wash your hearts. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. It's out of the hearts that come. I think it's actually early in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll look it up later. You know what I'm talking about, though, right? Forgive me that I'm embarrassing myself here, but that'll help keep try to keep my pride low. So so basically, again, what are the means to be kept from acts of sin? First of all, labor to mortify original sin. Recognize the problem is, starts in your heart. Deep within, what you want, what you love. Your old man, Paul says, keep killing the old man, right? We, We kind of wait and just hope nothing hits us. But the problem is, the more we kill what's within us. Oh, did you find it, Debbie? Matthew fifteen seventeen. Let's give that a look. Thank you. Do not yet, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in the at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Yeah, and then in particular, verse 19. That's verse 19 I especially am looking for, but you've helped us find it. Thank you. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Now I always like to say, he's not telling us we shouldn't wash our hands. This is, uh, you know, there's germs, we know a lot of things. Uh, What he's saying is, they had this ritual they built, the elders, and they're making it, you know, a, a rule, a legalistic rule that God never required for a ceremonial kind of a washing. It wasn't about washing to not pass germs and come and eat with dirty hands and get sick. It was a ceremonial washing the Pharisees had made up as a really important thing they have to do as a kind of holy, righteous, look as me thing. But the main thing we're looking at is verse 19. It's out of the heart all these evil things come. So again, the first thing, what do you need to do to avoid acts of sin? Recognize it comes from original sin that you're born with inside your heart. And always start there. So we want to be applying regularly what David prays in his prayer of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And that was not the prayer of a non-Christian. That was the prayer of a, convic- a Christian who was convicted of his sin, confronted of his sin, and was repenting. And he's praying ahead, Lord, make me do better by cleansing me, right? He's not saying, help me do better, help me be better, so that I do better, and whatever I do is sincere and from the heart. All right, number two, if you'd be kept from actual sins, think what an odious thing sin is. Now, we studied that recently with him, right? And it's disgusting. We've seen sin referred to as menstrual cloths, right? Dung. Um, uh, He gives us Jeremiah... Uh, I think I'm reading this right, 44 verse 4. Oh, do not this abominable thing that I hate. Abomination. Sin is disgusting. It's an abomination. He says, sin is the spirit of witchcraft. It is the devil's excrement. 
It is called filthiness. James 1.21. We had a sermon on that not long ago. It's called filthiness sin. He says, if all the evils in the world were put together and their essence strained out, they could not make a thing so filthy as sin is. All the, think about garbage, like all the garbage and all the different things. Think about refuse. Think about dung, you know, and there is a breaking down watery effect, juice that comes out of that stuff. If you were to squeeze it all through some kind of like a cheesecloth and all the disgusting dripping coming out, Sin is way more disgusting than that. And some of you are laughing, right? And it sounds funny at first. It's embarrassing, but it's true. That's the, like, please get it. It's true. You won't want to be any near that stuff, right? But how quick are we to be near the sin? He says, it's such a filthy thing. To consider how odious and base a thing sin is would be a means of keeping us from sinning. If we just understood how disgusting it is, right? Uh, a lot of times I bring up baby diapers lately, right? Nobody wants to do the baby diapers, you know? And even mommy who kind of pretends, and mommies kind of pretend they love it more than daddies, but now there's sometimes like, oh! I mean, I've chased around once in a while with it. Oh, yeah, let's prove how much you really like this baby diaper. You know, and, uh, you know, but that's, that's what sin is like. I just, oh! I don't want to be anywhere near it, right? And, um... We don't act like that with sin. That's the problem. Now, remember what we looked at when he had us consider that we were contrasting it with how horrible and difficult affliction is. Sin is worse. How horrible death is. Sin is worse. How horrible hell is. Sin is worse. Think of it as this disgusting thing. Number three, uh, you, you could go on a bit of a side discussion of outside the camp. Christ had to go outside the camp. How they had to send the scapegoat out. You know, all the stuff was outside the camp. You know, the gar- we don't keep our garbage with us. Okay, so like, for instance, I was so happy Abraham got out in time yesterday morning to get our garbage things out. Because nobody is happy if we forget to have our garbage picked up, right? And when there's the, they had a strike not so long ago, we're reminded how much we value our garbage collectors, right? Anybody like, do you ever plan a family visit to the garbage dump? Yay, let's go, let's go have a picnic at the garbage dump today. You know, I'm hearing K-Praise, actually. They're having an advertisement to, to raise funds for a ministry that's trying to help children in China who eat from garbage dumps. He says, you know, I was in Tennessee, I think it was recently, my mother-in-law died, and I was helping, uh, you know, where they live in a small town, you bring your garbage to the dump, they don't pick it up. He says, I was reminded of how nasty and disgusting a garbage dump is. And I was thinking about this ministry trying to help children in China who literally get their meals from the garbage dump, and they're waiting on people to get things from it, to go and sell and make things too, right? And... Um, you know, if you saw the movie, The Boy That Catches the Wind, which is a really amazing true story, he goes to garbage dump to get pieces of things to try to get batteries to get enough juice to power a radio, and then later to power, use things to have enough of what he needs to be able to work, um, called it a dynamo, to work with a, a windmill to get water in Africa so they could actually grow things, because they were all dying, and the government was so corrupt they didn't want to acknowledge it. I mean, they're living off the garbage dump, but think about children needing to get their food from garbage. And by the time it gets to the garbage dump, compared to when it's our garbage can, I mean, you're all like, oh, you're feeling so... This is sin, beloved. You don't want to eat and wallow around sin. But we do. Right? Number three. 
means to help you, acts to do to stay away from the act of sin, get the fear of God planted in your hearts. Get the fear of God planted in your hearts. I mean, think about it. I mean, as I say that, we've said it so many times, churches don't like that. Reformed churches don't like it. We don't want to think about fearing God. It's all about love. Well, we know it's a, f- a filial family fear, but there's still supposed to be a respect. There's be a concern not to get dad mad. By the way, reflecting that, uh, I still agree with Richard Phillips in his book, The Masculine Mandate. You disciple your kids, but you also discipline them, and they need to have a proper fear of their father. Or they'll have no fear for any other authority, and they'll have no fear of God. But notice this, Proverbs 16.6, it is by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. The reason that we rebel against God is we don't fear him and we don't fear his consequences until it's too late. Even the consequences he will bring down hard on his own people. Judgment begins in the house of God. We don't fear God. God and Jesus have been made up to be our little teddy bear. Not God. We don't fear him very much. It's a big reason we sin. Fear the Lord. Have a reverence and an awe for him and a don't want to displease my holy father. Drag his name in the mud. And face the consequences if I do. Because he is holy and I can't hide it from him. And he's watching and sees everything. He writes, fear is janitor animi. And that's Italian. It's in italics. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's something like, you know, animated janitor. He says it stands as a porter at the door. Or you could say like an usher at the door of the soul and keeps sin from entering. All sin is committed for want of the fear of God, he says. All sin is committed for want of the fear of God. Whatever other things, including our sinful hearts and original sin, whatever, the fact that we actually do sin, our own acts of sin, is ultimately a lack of the fear of God. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He quotes Romans 3, 14, 15, 18. They do all these horrible cursings and bitterness. They're so quick to kill and literally shed blood. Why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the world. How can they possibly be cutting up our little ones? There's no fear of God before their eyes. They're arrogant about it. I just finished the video Rachel sent me. I watched it a few evenings in a row. Uh, what is woman? Matt Walsh. It's got some stuff you got to watch out. Be aware of anyway. Some language. Uh, it's, it's frightening. But one thing that really struck me. There is absolutely no fear of God. It's unbelievable what they're doing and how they respond to just a basic question. What's woman? What's truth? Oh, now you're transphobic. This interview's over. You're, you're hurtful and you're abusive. Well, they actually go abuse these children and they can't change it. There's no fear of God. It's unbelievable. They shed blood. What's the first question they asked my wife? By the way, my beautiful, lovely, pregnant wife, I was teasing, she's you know, 40, so she has to take these tests if you're a little older at that age. Potential problems. Praise the Lord, there's no problems in the womb. It's this beautiful, lovely, pregnant wife. What's the first thing they asked of her a few weeks ago? 
Oh, were you planning to have the baby? No, it's a surprise. Before she could say, but we're wanting to have the baby, we're delighted. Do you want to? You don't have to. This is California. I actually think she was trying to get her to say, yeah, okay. It was aggressive. No fear of God. How quick to shed blood. Demanding our rights to kill children. No fear of God. Calling what is insanely obviously not a man or a woman. No fear of God. In the beginning, God made man male and female. Everyone knows the truth. They know this is truth. They're lying to themselves. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Romans also, right? Because there's no fear of God. Don't be afraid, beloved, to be a church that upholds the fear of God. Because again, Proverbs 16.6, it is by the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, that men depart from evil. Pray that people begin to fear God and his wrath. I appreciated our visitor the Lord's Day evening said, you know, the thing that really got me coming around to more godly churches and stuff and reformed churches, I started to become intensely aware that I was under God's wrath. And he referenced the end of the Gospel of John chapter 3. If you're not trusting the Lord Jesus, God's wrath abides upon you. And he was distinctly aware of, I'm, I'm in danger. I'm in great danger. It's the wrath of God and that sense of it that leads people to repentance, to seek Christ. There's no fear of God when the message is on the billboards, God loves you. Well, then I'm good. I'm groovy. Loves me as I am, right? There should be more billboards talking about repent. Judgment is coming. And pray that people would be afraid of that and come to be saved in Jesus. He says the way to be safe is always to fear. Remember what we looked at with Thomas, uh, Derek Thomas last week in the verse from Colossians 3. It's because of these things the wrath of God is coming. And it was a motivation from Paul not to sin. As Christians. Number four. A means to keep us from acting in sin. To act out in sin. Let us be careful to avoid all the inlets and occasions of sin. Run not into evil company. Guard your senses. Especially look to your eyes. Much sin comes in by the eye. Genesis 3.6 Looking begat lusting. That's the original sin, right? Also, you might say first the, the listening to Satan about how to look. And the way of looking at it, right? Covetousness begins at the eye, he writes. They saw that it was beautiful to look upon. 2 Samuel 12, verse 2. Look to your eyes. Job 31, 1. He made a covenant with his eyes. But I want to bring up whether it's our eyes or our ears, our fellowship. Uh, I do want to bring up when he says, be careful to avoid... All the inlets and occasions of sin, and in particular, run not into evil company. And I want to say, especially young people, be careful with whom you spend your time. And don't think it won't rub off on you. We're warned about not, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, watch out for the leaven of the world. And I want to bring up 1 Corinthians 15, 33. By the way, that's the verse that I couldn't, I had, uh, I had a typo. I was missing the one, that's why I struggled. One minute, Isaac, and I'll call on you. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Oh, 
Please don't tell me I have it wrong again. Oh yeah, I'm not looking at verse 33. <laughs> Be not deceived, Paul writes. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Good behavior. The wrong company, right? Watch the company you keep. Evil communications, that word communications is in older English meaning evil, uh, the kind of people you spend your time with. You could go to Psalm 1 to sing about a lot of that, right? The wrong company. Watch who you spend your time with. It will corrupt your manners. Yes, Isaac, what's your question? I should give you the mic. but The leaven means it's that little bit of stuff they put in bread. Ask Rachel to show you. She's doing a lot of baking lately. Leaven. Oh, Leaven, leaven, yeah, that, you know what leaven is. Okay, a little bit leavens the whole lump. And there is a leaven of heaven. Spend your time with the right people. Spend your time with the right people. Don't think that because you're a Christian, you are not susceptible to be influenced by others. Especially if you're young in the faith. Surround yourself with Christians. Now, we're in the world, but not of it. And you have to be able to go out in the world and work and different things over time. But be careful with whom you spend your fellowship Right? And don't be naive. People think they're going to send their kids to elementary school or, you know, public school uh, to evangelize. That's incredibly naive. The opposite will happen most of the time. And don't think that uh, you're going to go into a tavern or something and think you're going to win a whole bunch of people over. The way you'll have to compromise how you talk and act. Oh, by all means, go in and share the gospel. But I think it's likely they won't keep you in there very long. Maybe stay outside the door, pass out tracks. Don't think you're going to go into a place and it's not going to corrupt your behavior over time or quite quickly. Um, Number five, uh, I should probably stop here. I really want to get to a couple things. Maybe I can move through quickly. It's not as many scriptures. But uh, to keep from sinning, study sobriety and temperance. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Let me turn there with you. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He gives us this. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Study sobriety and temperance. What is sobriety? You think of it like, I'm going to stay sober. It's not just related to not getting drunk, but not allowing yourself to get in a stupor, whatever influence it would be, chemical or otherwise. Uh, be, be, be wise, not be getting crazy. Uh, but also uh, temperance. Temperance is self-control, and it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Of course, we've gone to that verse a lot, thinking about the devil's influence. Be sober. Stay awake. Right? Get your proper rest. Uh, be careful that you can pay attention, you can watch what's happening. Be careful. Six, watch your thoughts. Remember, we looked at that a lot. Watch your thoughts. That includes related to worry, right? Uh, Jeremiah uh, 4.14, how long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? He says, sin begins at the thoughts. Relates to the heart. Of course, relates to uh, the fear of the Lord. We'll we'll stop it when we sin. It's because it all relates to not fearing the Lord. But it begins with the thoughts. Yes, Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ja. Ja, he's giving the illustration at the Narrows. He and Abraham got to go there. The, you walk in the deep uh, canyon, caverns kind of thing with rocks high on both sides and water, and you're walking in the water. You got to be careful. There's a lot of rocks that you don't see because the water's often murky. You could easily slip on them. Yeah. And we got to think about our thoughts that way. Watch your passions, he writes, of anger and your passions of lust. So watch your thoughts and watch your feelings. Watch your temptations. This is all under, um, con- okay, actually, this is, the, this is actually under the category, uh, be continually upon your spiritual watch. I should have given you that. That's number six. Be constantly watching. And this has come up before, right? Watch your thoughts. Watch your passions of anger and passions of lust. Watch your temptations. Look for red flags, by the way. Your biggest problems of sin, there's usually red flags that come first. Watch for them. And stop, right? Watch for the red light. Don't go through the yellow light, right? Stop well before the light turns red. Watch your temptations. Most sin is committed for want of watchfulness, he says also. A lack of fear of the Lord and a want of watchfulness. So that's number six, actually. I'm going to get my highlighter later and uh, get this correct. The main category, continually be watching, right? Jesus is always saying, watch, watch, watch. Number seven, and I'm going to get through number eight and then I'll close. There's a lot more we won't do tonight, but I really want to share with you a little something from number eight. Um, Number seven, consult the oracles of God. Be well versed in scripture. How do you keep yourself from sinning? Read the word of God, right? Uh, It's living and active. It cleanses you. It guides your feet, right? Psalm 119. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path to not go the wrong way. Um, But in particular, we had a sermon on this a little while ago, and I encourage you to think about it related to meditation. Uh, Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that what? I might not sin against thee, right? Thy word have I hid. Well, how do you hide God's word in your heart? First of all, sing it, the Psalms, right? But keep going back and studying and memorizing it. And particular sins that you know you need to be particularly careful for, go to certain scriptures and regularly study them to help you. Positive things, not just the negative avoidance. He gives us Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's a parallel with Ephesians 5, 19. And the word of Christ uh, dwell in us richly. How? By singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Which, as you know, is all a reference to parts of the Psalter, the Old Testament Psalms. The words of Christ are in the Psalms. Sing them, right? Sing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Sing the Psalms. You know, we were riding up on Monday to Academy, the three boy, young, three oldest boys, I should say, three of five, we can now say, Abraham, Isaac, and Gabriel. And uh, we were starting to sing a lot of the Psalms just for devotions because we were, didn't have a lot of time for devotions at home. And we were just enjoying ourselves and getting real happy. And Isaac said, you know, I think we're the happiest car on the road right now. We were just enjoying fellowship, singing the Psalms, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, trying to get that in our hearts and minds. Before we get about our busy day. He writes, when Christ had a temptation of sin, he beat back the tempter and wounded him three times with the sword of the spirit. It is written. Every time, this is Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. And we know, we've spent a lot of time there in this study and elsewhere. Jesus quotes scripture. And when Satan quotes scripture, Jesus quotes more scripture. Of course, Satan abused the scripture he used. And Jesus is quoting what? 
the entire time almost, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And some of it's already come up in our preaching through Deuteronomy. Know the Bible. Meditate. Study the Bible. Study it. Sing it all the time just so you're safe right then. Like you don't not eat, right? You're going to mess up if you don't eat. Eat the Bible all the time. Just to eat the same stuff. Keep meditating and memorizing things you forgot. You are not going to go wrong. Turn on things like RefNet Radio. and just Sometimes I'm doing errands. I don't have time. I, just, I let the word get preached to me. And I'm like, yeah, I already knew that. But I forgot. I'm glad to hear Just, hey, reminders of what you know is great. I don't mind eating a PBJ most days. No problem. I had one yesterday. I need another one right now. I'm hungry, right? And then I don't have the hunger pains and act stupid when I'm needing to eat. But also, you get those things you memorize and really work on. They're there for those hours of temptation. And quote them. Go to the word. Go to prayer. He says next, if you, and this is the last one we'll cover tonight, number eight. Things means to you so that you do not sin. You do not commit the acts of sin when you are brought the temptation. Whether it's coming from within you or from without you, from Satan and the world. That's the early study, right? Uh, Number eight, if you would be preserved from gross, presumptuous sin, get your hearts freed with love to God. It really all comes down to love, right? What is the keeping of the law? Love. First and second greatest commandment, love. Love. You won't do it if you don't love God. And what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Right? The great Shema. Love. Because he's, remember in the context, he's the only God that exists. He's the only one that can love you. He's the only one you can love back. God. Go back to Psalm 73. And he writes this. His glorious beauty. Love his glorious beauty, first of all. And second, love his amazing love. Maybe that's the best thing to take away with you tonight if you don't have anything else. You want to not sin? Love God. Because love is the keeping of his commands. Right? Anyone who wants to try to tell you, oh, we don't, should require that. We shouldn't worry so much about this law. You're asking me not to love. Love is the keeping of God's commands. And his commands are not grievous or burdensome to us. Love God. Uh, we were asked to write an article uh, for A Place for Truth years ago if you could preach only one sermon. And I was compelled, I think, by things that we were looking at at the time. The sermon I would preach, and I want to remember this, and I was reminded of it recently, looking through some things. Love God. That would be my only sermon. Love God. If you have nothing else you can preach. There's other things you can say that lead to that, but love God. Love God for his glorious beauty. And love God for his amazing love. And he writes this. What a prodigy of love was it to give the son out of his bosom and lay such a jewel to pawn for our redemption. The glories of God's beauty and the magnitude of his love like two lodestones draw our love to God. And if we love him, we shall not sin against him. He that loves his friend will not by any means displease him. I have read of four men meeting together who asked one another what it was that kept them from sinning. One said the fear of hell. Another said the joys of heaven. The third said the odiousness of sin. And those things have come up. The fourth said that which keeps me from sin is love to God. Shall I sin against so good a God? 
Shall I abuse love? Love to God is the best curbing bit to keep from sin. Sin is hatred of God and rebellion. Love, keeping of God's laws, not sinning, is love. Now you can think back to what did Joseph say when Potiphar's wife went after him to commit adultery? Shall I sin against God and do this thing? That's going to be where it starts. And it's got to be not just that I'm going to have to face his wrath, though those are motivations, but the biggest thing is love because what does Paul write in 1 Corinthians 13? The greatest of these is love. I might even obey God outwardly, but if in my heart it's not out of love, it's still sin and it doesn't profit me nothing and doesn't glorify God. It's all from love for he who first loved us. We're going to start there, but I... Uh, um, I'm going to, uh, we have more things that will help us to avoid the act of sin, but I want to just read a few uh, scriptures tonight uh, that relate to what we've just read. I've, I've kind of quoted them, but I'm going to go to Luke 7. Feel free to just listen. I'll move quickly. Feel free to try to follow with me if you like, but I'm going to move quickly. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. You want to not sin? Start with loving God. Luke seven forty seven. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And here's a, a strain of thoughts I often like to share with people, objecting against living the law, which, first of all, what is sin? We know from 1 John, sin is the transgression, the breaking of God's law. It is unrighteousness. That's what sin is. And if we are forgiven much sin, we love much. And what is love? Jesus says, the keeping of his law. So we who are forgiven much, let us all be the first to say I'm the chief of sinners. If we've been forgiven much, let us love much. And to love much is to keep God's commands, to keep Christ's commands. And this is what he says. I'll just close with that. John 14, 21, 1 John 2, 5. The love of God, the love of Christ is keeping his commands. They're not burdensome. We say, oh man, why do you ask me I have to do that? No, I love God. Tell me how to love God better. Here you go. His law. Choosing not to violate his law, which is what sin is called in scripture. Beloved, how do we keep ourselves from sinning? Loving God. And loving one another. And beloved, loving ourselves. Loving ourselves in the appropriate way. And uh, we got a lot more. So that's not the end of it. You might think that would be the last one. There's more. But let us close in prayer. Lord God. Help us to love you with our whole heart, with all our might, and with all our strength. And help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And help us to love one another as our brethren. For if we do not love one another, the scriptures say we do not love God. And let us remember that love is sacrificial. Give the example of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, God, for loving us to send your son to die for us. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us to die for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for working love within us and the love of God. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you help us to love more and to sin less and to love your law and righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen.
Thanks for being here, beloved. You are dismissed.